The following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Athletico Physical Therapy and CDW. Pleasant good evening, everybody, and welcome to Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I'm Jeff Joniak, along with broadcast partner from Bears Radio, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM WBBM, Mr. Tom Thayer. Tom, the clock is ticking. Draft's just 22 days away. You getting ready? Oh, I can't wait. I think this has been an amazing offseason, Jeff, because of the way the season concluded last year, all the changes for this upcoming season, all of the attention that's being paid by one position. I mean, if, if it wasn't for Pitts, that tight end out of Florida, we may not be talking about anybody else but quarterbacks. And frankly, no offense to our next guest, Jim Miller, I am a little tired of it. I want to see who else are we talking about in this draft? I mean, you know, not every team is going to pick a quarterback in the first round. <laughs> well, listen, there's going to be a ton of conversation about tackles, my friend. Uh, because I think that's an area the Bears will likely focus on at some point early in the draft, whether it be first round or second round. And so I think you'll get your fill of tackle talk. And just for you, Tom, we're going to give you a little present tonight. We are going to talk tackles in our next segment exclusively. OK, so hopefully you've done a little homework. And I know my man, Jim Miller from Sirius XM <laughs> Radio has been doing his homework. Jim, how you doing? Welcome in once again, our special guest. Here tonight, uh, you got your tackle uh, readiness. Was we're going to do quarterbacks too, but I mean, are you ready to talk a little tackle? Yeah, I, I think. I, hey, we're going to give Tom. A, we're going to create a booth, a buffet here where he can just pick any tackle that he wants. They come in <laughs> all shapes and sizes, so he'll be plenty fed because there are a lot of tackles that I think a lot of people are underrating in, in this upcoming draft. You know what we have to do right off the top here, though, uh, we talk about a lot of people in the in the building at Hallis Hall. And, and one guy is so beloved in that building that we got to wish a happy 90th birthday to the one and only, the legend, Clyde Emmerich. I know, Tom, he's one of your closest friends. And uh, it, good to see he's in great health and ready to return to the building once the green light is given for everybody. And a man who just loves what he does. And he's always around that rate room. And he's, he's made a big difference in so many players' lives over the course of his career. The first strength and conditioning coach in NFL history. And uh, Tom, if you could put into some words, I know Brad Biggs did a tremendous job in the Tribune on an article uh, for his 90th birthday, and you were uh, heavily quoted in that article, but just in in a a real meaningful way, explain what he means to you. You know, he's a guy in that building, no matter if you're a player, if you're a broadcaster, or if you're an ex-has-been, you never you never avoid eye contact from Clyde Emmerich because he's a guy throughout your career, whether you're a first round draft choice or a seventh round draft choice, he pays equal attention to you. He cares as much about your career, no matter where you were drafted or if you're a free agent, he's the type of guy that wants you to improve yourself, not only for right now, but he wants to improve yourself for the future. And so, you know, I, I, there's so many sayings that, I, I'm reminded of when I when I think of Clyde Emmerich and uh, they they're all meaningful and he ha- he's had a tremendous impact 
on hundreds of players' lives on hundreds of people lives inside that facility, because like I said, he is a constant encourager. And, you know, Jeff, if you have a bad broadcast, you don't want to look Matt Nagy in the eye. If you have a bad game, you don't want to look your position coach in the eye. You never shy away from eye contact with Clyde Emmerich because it's always going to be a positive reflection. Well, you know, one of the, the one of the quotes, Jim uh, Miller, is that uh, Tom always tells me and Clyde's told me, too, you can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. So uh, maybe he told you that once or twice in the weight room. What, what were your experiences with him back when you played with the Bears? Yeah, I, I agree with Tom. He was, it was always positive. And one you knew from Clyde because he's been with the Chicago Bears for so long. He's seen everything. He's seen the ups and downs of seasons. He's seen the, the hot streaks, the losing streaks, how you work yourself out of a hole when, when maybe things aren't going so well, the adjustments you got to make. I think he was always uh, – he could always answer all your questions. Hey, Clyde, I'm looking to do this in the weight room to improve a certain area. And if he'd have just great suggestions and uh, really knowledge that he was just going to bless and bestow a, a upon you uh, to be better. And I think, uh, you know, like we all say, he's a great teammate. I, I think for, for Clyde, he, he really touched every player, every person in the building, at least through, through my experiences, always in a positive way that, that Tom had mentioned. So he's a great role model for everybody to look up to. And certainly with not only uh, his off the field exploits and what he's done in weightlifting and all that, but really was a benefit to everybody inside the entire building at Hallis Hall. Jim, what kind of weight weightlifting did you do? As a um, I, I was pretty aggressive in there. I, I at least I believe I was, and and Clyde was always there to, to give me some tips. You know, whether it's uh, you know, I didn't go in there to to squat as much as I could or or bench as much as I I could, but certainly wanted to be able to take the pounding and have the pliability uh, for the position of, of quarterback. And I think Clyde was very helpful for me in that uh, from that standpoint, and actually got me into the pool work and and getting more uh, a pool for cardio and and things like that, and more dumbbell work that. St definitely strengthened my shoulder for areas of concern that I had concerning my shoulder. Tom, uh, if you didn't love the weight room as a player, could Clyde bring that love of weight training to you if you're one of those guys? Yeah, of course. And that's what I'm saying. You know, he had such a strong attachment to no matter where you were, where you were drafted, what type of strength you came to the Bears with, you were always going to leave stronger. But it is always something he instilled an attitude in you that weightlifting in, is going to be an important part of your life after you, the afterlife of football. He always used to say, you know, you got to think about the big picture. And that was the entirety of your life. Do what you can do to become a better, more durable football player during your time in the Bears weight room. But when you leave the Bears, when people see you, let them know that you are an ex-football player. Allow them to see what you have learned in the weight room at the Bears facility and, and carry it to that afterlife. And through every one of my nieces and nephews, we've talked about weightlifting. In every bit of instructions I've ever given another person, it's the instructions that I've learned from Clyde Emmerich. And it still is as important today as it was 30 years ago, and it will be that important 30 years from now. No, it's interesting, too, because uh, at age 90, he's still lifting weights. <laughs> right, right. We, we should and, all be so lucky. And what does he always tell Jeff Joniak? Look, you're not a good student. I'd have a tough time with you. No, he, he says, well, no, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not coachable. That that's what Yes, there you go. There you go. Not coachable. Him and Dave Hendrickson from uh, the Bears 
uh, football video operations. I always ask me, I, I, Jim, he always asks, are you coachable today? And That's some right. days, yes. And some days, no. Yeah. Well, I can see that from both you and Dave, you guys kind of go to the beat of a different drum. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm sure Clyde, uh, in terms of it, all his discipline and his Olympic training, I'm sure that wouldn't have floated too well uh, with his uh, with his uh, weightlifting team that he was a part of. Hey, there's still hope for me. That's that's for sure. All right, uh, as as we look at what's going on this week, I guess you know we take a broad view of things uh, here in our first segment. Uh, but the Sam Darnold trade and, and what that means to the top of the draft, uh, Jim Miller. Well, I would say this. I think when you look at uh, Carolina to make that move to trade for for Sam Darnold, it, it tells you where they feel about where the quarterbacks are in this draft. Because if we feel that Trevor Lawrence is going one, obviously the Jets feel good about, about a quarterback at number two, and that's kind of resetting their football team. And then, of course, San Francisco trading up to number three. Uh, it tells you that they're taking a quarterback. Now Carolina's sitting at the eight spot. They feel that they can't move with anybody to get up to get to number four, potentially. Atlanta's at number four. That would be a, a trade in division. And it tells you that they probably grade Sam Darnold higher than what their fourth and fifth quarterbacks are. So I think it was very telling what Carolina did. That's Jim Miller. I'm Jeff Joniak, along with Tom Thayer. This is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Our first break ahead here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Choose clean energy for your home at IGS.com because every good choice adds up to a better world. Jeff Joniak along with Tom Thayer and Big Jim Miller from SiriusXM NFL Radio moving the chains with his partner uh, there. You guys uh, do mock drafts every week. Who do you have the Bears selecting in round one at number 20 should they stay there? Well, if it, if he keeps on going up the draft boards, and I do think he is, I had him taking the South Carolina cornerback, J.C. Horn. Uh, but man, his his numbers were terrific on his pro day. He's got the NFL bloodlines with his father, who's uh, Joe, former uh, New Orleans Saint wide receiver uh, Joe Horn, and I guess all his interviews have just been through the roof. So I think the the way the corners are going right now, probably it could be J.C. Horn one, Patrick Sertan out of Alabama two, Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. You don't know about him because he's got a medical. He had a disectomy uh, surgery with his back. Supposedly he's 100%, but teams are going to have to get all the medical on him. And so a player like him could be dropping a little bit. But, man, boy, that J.C. Horn sure looks like a, a surefire hot draft pick that's uh, going to be a, you know, a, a no you know, for him. He's not, there's not any really bad marks on him at all. So he's a pure football player. All right, and a self-proclaimed uh, pretty well, maybe not self-proclaimed, but uh, known around uh, the SEC as a pretty good trash talker. Yeah, oh yeah, he can do it. He learned from the best. His father. We got yeah. a lot of father-son duels that are that are going to be coming in this draft. I just talked to Lorenzo Neal. Remember the fullback for Baltimore for so many years. His son's a defensive tackle at Purdue. But you're going to see a lot of sons uh, uh, whose fathers are former NFL players. So a lot of bloodlines in this draft. Tom, are you okay with the Bears going with a corner in round one if necessary? I am. You know, the two offensive edges. I'm looking at offensive tackle and cornerback. I think cornerback is an important role. But, you know, I'm interested to see where is Trey Roberson? What is Artie Burns going to contribute? Because when we had small snippets to see these guys last year, they looked like they belonged in an NFL uniform. And they have true fun. So, if they, you know, get an, an evaluation through, you know, the weight room and through some on-field work 
that these guys can come in here and compete. I, th I think both positions are uh, desperate for starting caliber players and depth. And so when you look at the eight or 10 offensive tackles that are available to you, and Jim mentions the, you know, the top two guys are not going to fall to the bears at 20, but if they identify another corner out there that uh, Ryan and Matt think is a, as an immediate contributor, I, I wouldn't shy away from that position as well as offensive tackle. All right, let's start breaking down some of these tackles. We'll start with Jim because uh, Penny Sewell out of Oregon uh, appears to be the top dog with uh, maybe some strong consideration from the local crowd here and, and Rashawn Slater of Northwestern. A lot of love for him as well. Um, maybe different players, a little bit Sewell, a little bit thicker, a little bit heavier, but uh, by all accounts, uh, just an animal there at, at tackle. Yeah, he looks to be the the real deal. Penny Sewell, and I talked to Paul Alexander, who he's a former NFL offensive line coach for 30 years. He actually has worked with Penny Sewell out of Oregon. Uh, basically, uh, six foot four, or almost six five, let's just put it there, 331 pounds, uh, did his 40 and just over uh, five flat, 33 and a quarter inch arms. So you got plenty of arm length there, 10 and three eighths hands. So he passes that drill as, as well. So, but he knocked his pro day, everything out of the park. He showed his acceleration, his punch. He's got a vicious punch uh, that Tom can talk about, but he's just a big, powerful, quick man has high production grades from, from his standpoint. He's smart on the, the video and he's advanced technically with the really strong punch uh, that I mentioned. He looks like a, a sure you know, just a sure draft pick, probably the, the top tackle in this draft. Then you'd have to talk about Slater. One guy we're going to get into is Christian Darasol because he is really flying up the draft boards, and we'll see where he falls. Maybe it's a person the Bears, if they do think about tackle and what Tom's talking about, maybe they could trade up a couple spots, land a good uh, tackle on Christian Darasol, who also looks like a, a can't-miss prospect. You know, one Tom, thing what, about Sewell, one, one thing about Sewell is, if you're going to have those heavy hands, they talk about that big punch. You have to have the feet that match up with it because the one of the things that can really destroy your confidence, if you go for that punch and you miss and you don't have the feet to recover, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble at the NFL level. Maybe in college you can recover a little bit, but when they talk about the, you know, the best for a gap scheme, the best for a zone scheme, you know, Sewell has got the the ability and the tangibles that you need for every one of them. So that's what I'm always concerned about is how do how does your feet recover from a miss with the hands? And that's the one thing I like most about him at this level is his tenaciousness and his ability for his feet to keep up. Is it uh, more challenging uh, for us from the outside looking in to find the type of tackle? that would best suit whatever the Bears' offensive scheme ultimately is going to be because it's clearly been tweaked. It's, it's been adjusted. The, the collaboration of everybody involved with those offensive coaches, they're coming up with, with their new plan here for 2021 to have the Bears' offense, whatever that might look like. Um, does, that, does it make it a little hard to, to find guys that could potentially plug and play? Certainly at right tackle is one of the, the key spots. Yeah, well, but I, I – Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, well, no, I, I, I think there are a couple of guys that are plug-and-play candidates here. And you look at their coaching background from college. What was their coach's influence on, on their career? If you look at Pat Fitzgerald and you look at what he means to the Northwestern program, and then you go and you look at Slater, you look at his ability to move, the way, how bendable he is out of his stance, 
how intelligent he is at a really fast-paced system if they want to go at that high octane out there at Northwestern. I really like everything that he's been able to develop over the last couple of years. He's gotten bigger and stronger each year, but I do think, you know, the influence, because we're, we, we see Pat Fitzgerald more than maybe we see the position coach of Oregon or the head coach of Oregon. So I, I like the influences that the, the coaches have put uh, into the minds of these guys as their time and development. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there, every guy is going to fit a scheme differently because, you know, you look at Mayfield, who's strictly a right tackle out of University of Michigan, you know, they're going to run a little bit more power football from, from that standpoint. You got, you know, you got big centers, guards like a Creed Humphrey, who he's more of a, a gap system uh, center and things like, like that. Slater, I agree with Tom, is probably the more athletic type that if you're in a wide open offense, uh, that, that truly it really does a lot of RPOs and things like that. I think Slater is going to have a perfect fit in the NFL, and we see more teams uh, that are doing that. Other guys that I'm going to bring up, like Christian Darasaw uh, from Virginia Tech, this guy is probably a can't-miss prospect. That's what everybody thinks about him. So I wouldn't be shocked if even if he goes ahead of Slater, but he's 6'6", 302 out of Virginia Tech. He ran a 485. 40-yard dash for that size. So this is a big athletic guy who can move. Had a ridiculous pro day that I mentioned. He had a 10-foot-4 broad jump. He's got uh, 33-inch arms. So he's just got a great frame. NFL tackle just looks like the prototypical tackle. Very productive player. His athleticism's off the charts. And he only had six pressures and no sacks in 20 games that he performed in. So excellent speed and jumping skills as well. So he's got the body and athleticism, all the things that Tom is talking about in terms of the left tackle position. And there's plenty of other guys like him in this draft that probably won't be taken till round two. Well, you know, one, th- one thing about this, Jeff, is because you and I have talked about it a lot, is that if we're going to identify an offensive tackle, that's what I want identified. I don't want a tweener. I don't want a gap guy. I don't want a guy that say, wow, if he fails at tackle, he can play guard. The Bears have enough centers and guards. And so just give me an offensive tackle. That's what I'm evaluating, pure and simple. All right. It's as important a position as any uh, in the National Football League, and it's worthy of another segment. We're going to pick up a tackle talk with Jim and Tom after this on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. The Chicago Bears Network presents Inside the Bears, brought to you by Verizon. Anthony Adams and Lauren Screeden cover the world of Bears football on and off the field every Sunday night at 10.35 p.m. on Fox 32 Chicago. Watch anytime at chicagobears.com or on the Bears official app. Welcome back to the program with our producer, Jordan Treadup, Dan Barilli. Appreciate you joining us tonight with Jim Miller and Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak. As we break down the tackle position, there's so many apparently available uh, in the upper rounds of this year's draft, Jim, and you were amplifying, or about to anyway, about something Tom said about wanting, uh, if you tackle, you get a tackle. A guy who's played his entire career tackle, not a guy that maybe will, you know, project as a tackle after being a, a really good guard or vice versa. And I, I'm in line with that as well. How do you feel about it? 
Yeah. Well, again, I think, uh, yeah, depending on what you're asking them to do, I do think this is a, a really good tackle draft uh, that we mentioned. Guys who are wide open and guys who are more in, in the power mode. So as we know, they all come in different shapes and sizes, but legitimately, you know, just prototypical, you want your left tap, tackle to typically be probably about six, five and above. You know, that's really the starting point. They've got to have long arms, got to have quick feet uh, that uh, Tom mentioned, got to have the punch. You know, you want them to be the so quote unquote Walter Jones, the dancing bear that has that type of athleticism. And there are guys in this draft that really check all those boxes. I think I think uh, Sam Cosme of Texas, he he checks that box, 6'6", 314 uh, pounds. He's got 34 inch arms. Four eight seven in his forties. So here's a guy close to three twenty who's running close to a a four eight in terms of his forty. Thirty six on his bench press. So this is a strong, big left tackle. Other guys that are going to be talked about: Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, very similar from from that standpoint. And Sam Cosme, probably the best athlete overall in this draft at left tackle is Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. And look, look about his numbers. This guy's over 6'8", so he's almost like Big Cab Williams. So, you know, he's almost a 6'9 guy, 4'8 in his 40. That's almost 6'9". 6'9", three cone drill. With his, that's ridiculous for a big guy to have the change of direction that he has. 4'3 in terms of his short shuttle, 9'9 in terms of his broad jump, 29 in terms of his bench press. How about this for Spencer Brown? No football player, boy, he had no football in 2020. He had a baseball, basketball, truly, really good athlete uh, from his standpoint growing up in terms of all of his numbers. But he's tall, long, athletic. Uh, like I said, miss, missed 2020 because it was canceled, but he's been working the whole time. Last tidbit I'll tell you about how great of an athlete Spencer Brown is out of no, uh, Northern Iowa. Out of all the tackles that have come out since 1987, since 1987 now, that's over 1,134 tackles, he rated number one. Number one is what he rates in, in terms of the athletic ability. That's Reddit, Reddit, it's called the Relative Athletic Score, RAS, R-A-S. He comes out number one since 1987. Wow. wow. That's a mouthful right there. And I was going to bring him up as, you know, and maybe, maybe a guy like this can sneak into uh, the top three rounds of the draft coming out of, uh, of Northern Iowa, but, you know, he even neglected some of the, the big numbers, 34 inch arms, 82 yep. and three eighths wingspan, massive hands. But Tommy, all that being said, this is a guy who played defensive line in eight man prep football and then moved to offensive line for the first time in his life at UNI. So there's not, there's still, is this, is this a guy that you can mold and shape or, you know, do you, do you, he clearly has the feet, he clearly has the athleticism, but needs work on technique, you would think. Well, when I, so when, when I see Brown, I think he's one of the best big man athletes I've ever seen. Um, and you think of the way he can run, you think of his skills, you think of his athleticism, but you know, Jeff, I've had an NFL GM tell me he doesn't like tackles this tall because he doesn't believe they can win and gain and earn the leverage game throughout an entire contest so now if he plays at a 6-9 frame late in the game against a good pass rusher the difficulty of getting his punch in the right position not illegal hands of the face making sure he can stay in that athletic position is really challengeable 
So when you said, yeah, this guy used to be a defensive lineman. Hey, here's a guy that I may think about putting back a defensive tackle. I know it sounds, hey, listen, they've taken defensive tackles and moved them to offensive line. I love this guy, but I would like to see a simulated game where he's running and see what his bendability is in the latter part of the game and in an exhausting two-minute drill. In those types of evaluations that you have to you have to evaluate him by because it's not only watching a guy run a 40 or going through the bench press. It's about how do you pl- play with that frame when you're super fatigued? Well, and the big part of it is uh, when you're that tall, you're always going to have questions about, you know, the pad level and how, how you're going to generate power with, with that kind of frame. So that, that's, that's a long been a discussion point in the National Football League with big, big tackles. I'm going to touch on Tevin Jenkins again for both you and Jim. Uh, Jim, sounds like he's got a lot of nasty to him. And I always kind of gravitate to those types of players at certain positions in the NFL because they become, uh, in the long term, maybe your alpha, uh, the guy that's going to say, hey, come follow me. And that could be the center, could be the guard, could be the tackle. But, you know, is there there something like that, in your opinions, that is needed on the Bears offensive line right now? We We got a great selection of interior players. Uh, but do you need a mentality that says, hey, I'm not taking anybody's, you know, you know what? Yeah. And I'm going to take care of business here on the offensive line. It sounds like this guy might be that type of player. Yeah, at Oklahoma State, he does. He plays with a lot of attitude. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, you don't have to be a big talker. I think you talk with your play. And I think that's what Tevin Jenkins does. I think that's what, say, a prototypical tackle and probably the best tackle in football, Trent Williams does. You know, he when he talks, it's like EF Hunton. You know, people listen. He talks very rarely, but people listen. He just lets people know, yeah, I'm the guy that, that really is the best in the National Football League, and my standard is the standard. And I think Jenkins does offer that type of – you know, mauling attitude where he's respected just due to his tough play. And he does really doesn't have to tell anybody about it. He just shows you week in and week out. You know, one thing about Tevin Jenkins too, is when he comes because, because of the measurables, he doesn't have great length. He doesn't, you know, have that ideal pass the eye test for a tackle. You know, can he move, you know, yeah, he can move in the guard. He's got everything. You know, he's super physical. He finishes blocks really well. Um, But, again, I want a guy that's coming here knowing that he is going to be a career offensive tackle. And if that's what, you know, the brass and and with any team that it feels they're going to pick them, if they believe that they're bringing in this 10-year tackle, then then great. Again, I I love the way he plays. I love his nastiness. Uh, He's a big, beefy guy. But uh, again, I want a guy that when he lines up first day of OTAs or training camp, that he's in that position to stay and play. As another guy, Jim, with 36 reps and another sub five, 40. Not that that matters. You know, I know that doesn't matter, but uh, is it now he opted out in November. So he said, hey, I'm going to get ready for the draft. So a number of these guys we're talking about in the end for this particular situation with a pandemic. These guys built their bodies and they got trained a lot earlier than they normally would. Do you think that's going to pay dividends or are these numbers just maybe because we're not at the combine and everything is the same, 
are they a little are they going to be a little bit better than what they really are yeah no it's a good point because yeah they've certainly been training for all these things for their pro day and their numbers could be inflated but for some guys that opted out this has actually been good for them because like here we were just talking about spencer brown from northern iowa I mentioned all he's been doing is working with former NFL offensive line coach, Paul Alexander, the entire time. So Paul's, he's actually been getting good coaching what a lot of these guys have been doing. And, it, and it's true for all these guys, no matter what facility they're at, they're all going to these performance centers and they bring in a, a, an offensive line coach formerly of the NFL or, or currently in terms of the, the, the preps and, and things that they do to show these players the techniques that they're going to be asked to do at the next level. So I do think they're getting coached up uh, from that standpoint. So they're all going to benefit. And I think for these guys, they're going to be big, strong. And as you said, a lot of these guys can move because they've trained that way here this entire offseason and through the pandemic. All right, Jim, we got to take our break as we rumble through Bears All Access tonight here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. Score, let's take a break. We'll be back in a few. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Athletical Physical Therapy. Visit athletico.com to request an appointment in clinic or virtually and start feeling better tomorrow. Jeff Joniak along with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller, the former Chicago Bears quarterback from Sirius XM NFL Radio. Our guest this week, we're going over a bunch of different aspects of the draft with just three weeks to go. Uh, we, we focused on tackles. Now we're going to go back to Jim's bailiwick. We got to do it every show. We got to talk quarterbacks. Uh, and so with the trade by San Francisco, am I to believe all the national experts that are analyzing this, that the 49ers making this move to draft Mac Jones. Is this what you're hearing? Everybody, that's what everybody assumes. I, I'm, I'm not so sure of that, you know, because when you look at, uh, you know, and I think he checks all the boxes and all those things, and I think he could play right away. But it sounds like they are, you know, they want to keep Sam Darnold, or excuse me, Jimmy Garoppolo. They want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. They've been uh, throwing him out there for a, a first-round pick. Nobody's going to give a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. So everybody assumes it's Mac Jones. I personally think it would be Justin Fields. I think he's more athletic. I think he's got a higher ceiling uh, than Mac Jones from that standpoint. And he offers more athleticism. Again, when you look at Kyle Shannon, he's coached both sides. He's coached uh, the pocket passer and Matt Ryan, which really, when you look at Mac Jones, that's, that's what he is, but he typically likes the more athletic guys, even going back to his dad drafting John Elway. You look when they drafted uh, Robert Griffin, when Kyle was the offensive coordinator in Washington, now, when you go back to Jay Cutler, they drafted him in Denver. So I think they would prefer, prefer, in my opinion, Justin Fields at number three is how I potentially see it uh, playing out, which, you know, wouldn't shock anybody if that happens, because Justin, to me, has a higher ceiling than Mac Jones. You know, one thing about the quarterback position is Mac Jones is more similar to Jimmy Garoppolo. Justin Fields doesn't have a lot of similarities to Jim to Garoppolo. And so Justin Fields can do everything what Garoppolo and Mac Jones can do, but Mac Jones can't do everything Justin Fields can do in terms of athleticism, running the edge, the RPOs. And it's going to be interesting to see what type of offense does, do they want to continue to build in San Francisco? Because it's, it's two different offenses with Justin Fields than it is with Mac Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo. 
So I think it'll tell you a little bit about the future of the offense going forward, depending upon if they have their sights set on Mac Jones and that's who they're going with. It's going to be a drop back style uh, pocket protection, get the ball out of your hands type of offense. And you may not have that edge threat that you would have in an RPO offense with Justin Fields. Jim, uh, we can see as many as five. That's kind of the expected number for first round quarterbacks. Um, out of those five, uh, is there a chance one of them is is going to drop further than people might think? And I'm, I'm looking at maybe Fields or Lance. Or are there any other, in your opinion, potential first round quarterbacks that could sneak in here? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you look at Tampa, typically teams will trade back into the end of the first round and pick a quarterback because you get the fifth year option. And I would think for at 32, where Tampa Bay is selecting, that wouldn't shock me if they take Kyle Trask or the quarterback Mills out there at uh, Stanford. It really wouldn't shock me at all, because to me, they're they're really two prototypical drop back passers that could learn and uh under Tom Brady over the next couple of years. And to me, that makes a, a lot of sense. As for your first question about quarterbacks dropping through, uh, it may happen, but I do think there are teams that are going to be needy. Already, when you look at Denver, they've mentioned they want to bring in competition for Drew Locke. So whether it's Trey Lance, who are, isn't ready to play right now, he could go in there and compete and at least put Drew Locke on notice in where Denver is selecting at the number nine spot. I'm not so sure about Carolina taking a quarterback at eight. They tried to say it's off the table, but to me, for them to trade for Sam Darnold, they're basically going to get Sam Darnold for three years. Let's say he plays this year. He plays under his uh, fifth year option, which is about 18 million bucks. And then they franchise tag him. They basically have him for three years and $17 million. And by them trading for him, I think it tells you that it takes them out of the quarterback market because those other quarterbacks would have to sit behind him and learn, which wouldn't be a bad thing. But I think all in all, I think Carolina isn't going to be taking a quarterback at eight now. And Tom, there is an expectation that the Bears would draft a quarterback at some point uh, in this 2021 selection process. Um, but Jim and Tom, do, do you want to be sure you're not just taking one to take one? No, I, I think the Bears are in a position they have to take a quarterback and they have to think about further development. And it's no offense against Tyler Bray, who's been around the NFL now for about eight years. I don't think there, there was ever thought that he was going to develop into a, a competitor, a guy that you're going to bring to training camp and could be the dark horse in the race at the quarterback position and eventually morph into a possible starter. Um, so I would want to see a guy. I'm not going to waste any draft choice. I'm not going to bring a guy in here just to fill a quarterback jersey in the throw balls in seven on seven, one on ones and all the drills you go through. I want a guy here that's going to get the equal consideration about development for the future that any quarterback that's already on the roster. So I don't think, Jeff, the Bears have the luxury of drafting a project, drafting a guy that, you know, has such a muddled college career, whether through injuries or whatever the circumstances are, that you hope he's got an upside. No, I want a guy that's showing me the climb up the ladder through his college career that's ready to take that next step. 
Yeah, and I think for for them, the the Bears don't have the assets to trade up to get one of these quarterbacks. So it's going to have to be later in the draft. And I agree with Tom. Why draft a project? How about a guy who's a four-year starter like a Kellen Mond from Texas A&M? That pretty much does everything that the Bears offense is asking him to do. I think Ian Book from Notre Dame potentially could be a a consideration from the Bears. These guys aren't projects. They played quite a bit, um, and there are guys that could come in and compete in a guy that you can develop, but they come with a ton of college experience. Is there a diamond in the rough, in your opinions, a guy like, you know, so much conversation was about Russell Wilson that you could find and really surprise people? Well, I think he's not going to play right away, but I mentioned the Stanford uh, product, David, uh, Dave Mills or Davis Mills, excuse me. This dude can throw a football now. I mean, he's just got, you know, he doesn't have a lot of starts, which, uh, of course, that's going to shy away a lot of teams, much like, say, Trey Lance, who only comes with with 19 starts. So I think you got to be careful there. But if if you run a run play action offense, say, like Arthur Smith had just got the head coaching job in Atlanta. To me, this guy would be the perfect guy to draft in the mid rounds to place behind Matt Ryan and just let him marinate a little bit. This guy is flawless throwing the football. I watched a lot of tape on him, just comes with the, had a little bit of an injury history and really just hasn't played a lot. So, But he's a guy that you can really develop and I think will become a starter at some point in his NFL career. All right, Jim and Tom, one more break to go and another segment to wrap things up here tonight on Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Fresh cut, fresh perspective. Book an appointment with Chicago Bears Small Business Off Pros winner, Principal Barber. Visit principalbarbers.com. Welcome back to Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Our producer today, Jordan Tredup, with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. I'm Jeff Joniak. Uh, let's talk about uh, the news of the week. Um, right after our show a week ago on Thursday, they had the uh, news conferences with Matt Nagy and also uh, General Manager Ryan Pace. And with the news, Jim Miller, that uh, there's going to be the play calling back to Matt Nagy here for 2021. Would you? Well, I think from that standpoint, I, I don't think it surprises anybody. I think a lot of uh, NFL coaches, Mike McCarthy, he's taken back play calling duties. Andy Reid has done it at certain times in his career. And this is a passion of, of Matt Nagy. I think uh, we, we've talked about it when he arrived with the Bears. He wanted to continue the play calling. But what's interesting here is that the Bears made that transition to Bill Lazor last year, and they did show some improvement. And now you've got uh, Bill Lazor, who's got a background with Andy Dalton and probably has a, a certain level of comfortability. You thought it would be moving towards that Bill Lazor would be calling the plays uh, this year. But, hey, I get it. I think the the pressure cooker of the NFL is is lighting up a little bit for the Bears. I think they know they want to have a lot of success. And I think Matt Nagy, from, from his standpoint, you know, he wants to have a lot of control from that standpoint and how the season plays out. So he gets uh, great joy in terms of his play calling. And so he'll resume that. It's just how quickly he'll develop that relationship with Andy Dalton. And luckily, he's got good insight from Bill Lazor that he can lean on. But most coaches who are play callers before, they normally take it back. And I think that's why Nagy is elected to do it as well. Yeah, I like this decision all around. I like that Matt Nagy is going to be the play caller. I like the kind of the pressure that it puts in the entire offense because they know the head coach is the designer of the offense and he's the guy that's calling the plays. And then when they do come off the field, 
Bill Lazor can be an immediate attachment to Andy Dalton, Nick Folds, who never is playing quarterback. So Matt doesn't have to transfer a lot of energy from calling plays to go and address the quarterback, what's needed from the last series or how to look at the, the, the tape that they have on the sideline to get things corrected. So um, I like that Matt's calling plays. Um, I, I have nothing against uh, Coach Lazor. I, you know, I, I like the way that he was calling plays last year. However, when you look at the pressure cooker in which the Bears is this year, I think the head coach calling the plays is, is better for the, the entirety of the team. All right, let's look at the defense. Uh, and we got, uh, you know, obviously Akeem Hicks uh, is going to be back inside. You got Khalil Mack, and, and those two guys are, are game wreckers. Um, Tom, let's start with you on where their games could evolve, uh, especially with some new pieces coming on the defensive side of the ball, certainly at cornerback. We still don't know about the other safety spot. Well, you know, talking specifically about Khalil and Akeem, I don't want their games to get stagnant at this stage of their career. It seems like you go and you get into the, your five, six years of your career, and now you got to continue to still develop new tricks, new moves. You know, was it, you remember the nighttime practice that the Bears had last, was it last year, a couple years ago? Yeah. And I was, ago. I, so I was watching Khalil Mack in practice, and he, Bruce Smith, the Hall of Famer that played for the Buffalo Bills, he used to have this, um, inside spin move that was almost unstoppable he would set you up and he would bait you into it in every game he would set you up and he would get a sack from it I saw Khalil use that move a couple times in that nighttime practice and I've even went up and asked him hey why don't you show that a little bit more in the game because it puts a lot of paranoia into offensive tackles so when you look at Khalil yeah we see what he can do coming around the corner how he can get to the quarterback and try to become a reckless and, and create those fumbles. I need to see him to put more in his pass rushing arsenal. And I think it could catch a lot of developed offensive tackle experience, offensive tackles off guard. And I think it's the same thing with Akeem Hicks. To me, I would like to see Akeem Hicks be in the best physical condition he could possibly be in. When you look at what he can do as a dominator, when he's fresh, he is unstoppable. But when you get to this stage in the career, sometimes that's got to be the point of emphasis. Make sure you're the best conditioned player that you can be at, at that destructive body weight that he can carry around. So when you talk about the experience of those two guys, I want to see more out of them. I don't think they plateaued. I think they have the better to be. But then when you look at the influence that he has down the line on Eddie Goldman and Bilal Nichols and stuff, that's why I think that Akeem has to carry himself at such a high performance level. So it's kind of a trickle down effect to these young guys that have tremendous upsides and they start to, to feel the, you know, what Akeem means to the team, just like what Khalil means to the team. Jim, from a quarterback's perspective, uh, Tom used the word paranoia, put paranoia in a offensive lineman's mind. What puts paranoia in a mind of a quarterback when you got those two guys on the field? And is that enough when they're playing at a high level to cause enough disruption in, in a quarterback's game? Yeah, I remember when we beat Washington in Washington 10 to seven on a fake punt and Bruce Smith was still playing that game. Bruce Smith at 19 years in the NFL and that game was just an absolute bloodbath for all the things that Tom's mentioning. I remember walking in at halftime and I told Bruce, man, you still got it. It's your 19th year. That dude was in my grill every single play 
and it was just a battle in the trenches. So I'd say what puts fear in you as a quarterback when you don't have time to throw, you know, you're trying to go through your reads and you're, you're kind of holding on to the football, waiting for the, uh, to the receiver to get there. And there's just no time left because those guys are putting so much pressure on you where you become indecisive in your decision-making. And at the end of the day, it's not always a sack, but they're, they're throwing the timing off on the plays. In minimum, you're getting hit almost every single play, and those add up over the course of, of four quarters. So I think from the Bears' perspective, I think they'll be able to do all that. I, I've maintained it. I like the Bears' defense. I think they'll just be fine in 2021. You know, they'll get, you know with Akeem Hicks and they'll get Eddie Goldman back, uh, Tom mentioned uh, Bilal Nichols and Mario Edwards re-signing him was big. They add Angelo Blackson up front, and now your pass rushers stay the same. Akeem Hicks, uh, obviously, when you look on the outside, like uh, uh, for Robert Quinn to have more of an impact, but you've got other guys that are going to have to step up and like a Travis Gibson and really start to contribute from that standpoint. And they should be able to do everything that they want to do and really not drop off all that much at all. All right, we got less than a minute to go. I want to throw one on the table real quick. Let me think, see what you guys think. I'm also wondering what the slot receiver position is going to be. And in this offense and in every offense, it could be a deadly weapon. There's a really good group of receivers, again, that played well in the slot that you might be able to get uh, even into the mid-rounds of the draft because we don't know what the situation is right now with Anthony Miller. Uh, how do you guys feel about it? Start with Tom. Uh, I, I think it's a position that really has to present present itself inside this offense. And, you know, Darnell Mooney has that ability. Riley Ridley has that ability. So, I mean, if you're looking for a college guy to come over and take off that position, I think you're asking for a little much. It's all about what you're developing on your roster. Well, the, there's talent, uh, plenty of talented receivers that are going to be in this draft and plenty of good slot receivers starting in the first round. If the Bears were to think about that at 20, you know, you look at Kadarius Toney from Florida. I mean, these guys are talented. Let's look at the impact of Justin Jefferson, who everybody thought was a quote unquote slot receiver <laughs> last year out of LSU. All right, fellas, we're out of time as always. We can jam so only so much into the bag, but we we, we did our best tonight. Thanks, as always. Big Jim Miller. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Tommy. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producer, Jordan Treadup, and the folks at The Score. That'll do it on Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Good night. Thanks for listening to this Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on chicagobears.com and on iTunes or download the official Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Miller Lite.